You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you have drawn near to us, made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus We thank you for the word of God that bears witness to him and his great love. So we pray this morning that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word, that you would empower all of us, me, especially in my own weakness, that you would give us strength to see and know and experience the love of the risen Lord Jesus today, that we might know him, love him, and love others. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again, church family. It's great to see you. Happy Easter. Again, this is the sixth Sunday of Easter. Um, We celebrate Easter for 50 days um, because we really do believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the really big deal of the universe. And so it takes a long time to really celebrate and understand the depth of the implications of the resurrection. And so this sermon series that we're doing in the season of Eastertide, we're exploring one particular very simple but powerful implication of the resurrection, and that is that Jesus is fully and constantly available to us. That as Christians, we don't um, have a relationship with kind of a dead religious leader of the past, but that we have a dynamic relationship with the risen Lord of the present. And so we're being invited to believe and know that Jesus is always with us. And we're exploring through what's called the farewell discourse, John 14 to 17, Jesus' promise to be always with us and what it means for us to live always with him. So this morning, um, we're, we started really what is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, John 15, and we started it last week. Drew preached a great sermon on um, the, the vine. Jesus is the vine, and that was John 1, uh, 15, 1 through 7. And so today we're going to pick up um, in John 15, and I'm actually going to start reading in verse 8 um, and then read to verse 17. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open those or an app on your phone or just listen, Um, Let's hear God's word as Jesus speaks to us. Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So last week, I I got to go on a field trip with my um, 13-year-old Phoebe with her class. And it was a field trip to um, Robius Landing down in Chesterfield. Have you all ever been down there? Really pretty place, State Park. Um, And it was a day of paddleboarding or an afternoon of paddleboarding. So half the group would go paddleboarding, while the other half of the group went on a nature walk through the woods. It was a lovely day, great fun. The nature walk, though, was really interesting. Have you ever been on a nature walk in the woods with a group of middle school students? 
um, it's not necessarily the experience of tranquility that you, <laughs> that you might hope for. But the guide, we had this young 20-something leading this nature walk, and he was excellent. He was really good with the kids. And at one point, he did something so interesting. He stopped us. and We were in the middle of this thick, dense, beautiful forest. And he stopped us and he said, kids, I want you to do something that you rarely do. I want you to open your eyes, open your ears, close your mouths, and be silent. I'm going to set this timer. It was like three minutes or something. I'm going to set this timer for three minutes, and we are simply going to notice, observe, take in. Because what I want you to see is that there is so much life that is happening here. And I got to say, it was a very powerful experience. Standing there in the woods for three minutes of silence with a bunch of 13-year-olds, I was deeply moved. I mean, I was looking up at the canopy. It was, you know, this spring has been glorious. Seeing this foliage breaking out um, above me and then, and then seeing the bird life up in the trees and seeing the sun breaking through and then looking down at the forest floor and seeing all of the life happening there, all of the organic cycles of life happening, imagining all of the life that's happening under the surface of the ground. I was really moved. In fact, he was right. So much life is happening. You know, last week, um, we heard that Jesus gave us this wonderful metaphor to describe what he wants to see in his community. And he used the image of the vine, the metaphor of the vine and the branches. But I think probably if he lived in Virginia, he would use a metaphor of a coniferous forest. Um, because the vision is the same, that Jesus's vision is that his community would be a community that is receiving and giving life. It's a community of almost organic generativity in which the community is so receiving life and so extending life that people would look at the community of Jesus and say, like we said in that forest, so much life is happening here. And what's the secret to that life? What's the secret to this generativity that Jesus longs for in his community? Well, in the, in the forest, it's, you know, sunlight and uh, water, and you kids could tell me better about the root systems, all this. That's the secret of this generativity. But in the Christian community, in the community of Jesus, the secret to this generativity and giving and receiving of life, do you know what it is? Love. That's the theme. That's what Jesus is speaking so emphatically about in this section, that Jesus wants us to be people who are so deeply rooted in his love and then who are so thoroughly extending his love that it creates this powerful, generative, life-pulsing cycle in which we are those who receive love and extend love, who are receptors of love and extenders of love, who are drawing up love and then giving out life to the world. This is the double dynamic of the community of Jesus, that we are those who are receptors and extenders of love. Okay, so that's what I want to do. I want to just look at this. I just think this is an amazing uh, teaching of Jesus. And, and I just want to use that metaphor of the roots and the fruits, okay? That the roots of our community is that we are those who are receiving love. And that the fruits of our community is that we are those who are extending love. Okay? So I want you to keep that image in your mind. So first, let's look at what does it mean for us, to our roots, to be those who are receiving love? What does it mean to be those who just receive the love of God? Well, verse 9 is 
a really important key to this whole section. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now notice there's two parts to this, and I sort of broke it down for you so you can see the two parts to it. Um, The first part is a statement about God's posture towards you. That's what's called an indicative statement. Any of you kids studying grammar yet in school? You know, an indicative statement is it's a statement of fact, right? So Jesus makes an indicative statement. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He's making a statement that is true. This is who you are. You are loved. It's not that he says you're tolerated or you're, you're, you're barely sort of in or you're even liked. He says you're loved. This is what is deeply true about you. And this is so powerful because, you know, we talked about the Trinity a couple weeks ago, about how the, the Fa- God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit has existed for all eternity in this dynamic, interdependent community of love as the three persons of the Trinity are giving themselves together in perfect divine love forever and ever. And Jesus says, with the same love that I've received from the Father, I'm giving to you. That's how loved you are. And this is a statement of fact. This is an, this is an indicative truth. Nothing you can do or nothing you can't do can change the truth of this great truth about you that you are loved with an eternally pure, divine, everlasting love. And that's the gospel, friends, right? The gospel is an indicative statement about you that before you did anything, before you deserved anything, before you earned anything, Jesus Christ lived and died and rose for you and that in and through him and his death and resurrection, you are loved and claimed and forgiven by God, belong to God and are found and saved in his love forever. That's true. That's the indicative truth about who you are. You're loved. But the second statement that Jesus says is this, remain in my love. That's that word that Drew talked about last week, meno. Um, it's a Greek word that sometimes is translated abide or stay or remain. I love the way um, Eugene Peterson translates this verse. He says, make yourselves at home in my love. This is an imperative statement. So we've got the indicative, right? Are y'all tracking with me? We've got the indicative statement, which is the truth. And then we've got the imperative statement, which is the command, you are loved, so now therefore remain in my love. Jesus is telling us that when it comes to knowing and experiencing God's love, there's something that we have to do, right? Like just, you remember, um, if you guys were here last week, do you remember how Drew put a water bottle right here? And he said, stay, right? And the water bottle doesn't move because the water bottle is an inanimate object. But unlike the water bottle, we don't stay. And unlike the branch on a vine, we don't just stay connected and grafted into the vine. We're much more like my dog, who off-leash is constantly straying and only with great exertion and often bribery is he able to remain, right? And so we're much more like that. For us to stay with Jesus, to stay in his love requires actually discipline and effort, right? Abiding is an action. It's an imperative. Jesus says here, here's something you must choose to do every day. Rest in me, remain in me, make your hearts home in my love. Did you notice all the references in these verses to obedience, Right? Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. In other words, you've got to make an intentional effort to follow me and to be with me and to trust me and to surrender to me. This is something you've got to actually choose to do day after day in order to experience my great love for you. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, preacher. I thought this was a grace-based church. You know, I thought that we... 
I thought that you would just say all the time that we're saved by grace and grace alone, and there's nothing that we can do to contribute to our salvation, and it sounds like you're saying there is something we need to do. Aha, hold your horses, friends. Listen, listen. Don't get confused, the imperative and the indicative, right? Your salvation is entirely based on grace. That's the indicative, right? Notice Jesus does not put the imperative before the indicative. He does not say, if you remain in me, then you are loved. If you obey, then you're loved. No, that's religion. That's not grace, right? God's love is not conditional on our obedience. God's love is the indicative. It always is there, period. Nothing you can do, nothing you cannot do. Whether you obey or not, whether you abide or not, whether you remain or not, nothing affects the truth of the indicative statement, you are loved by God in Christ. And yet, does that mean there's nothing for you to do? Of course not. To quote Dallas Willard, who I love to quote all the time, Grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Because grace is an invitation for us to participate, right? Grace, while the truth of God's love for you is a fixed reality that never fluctuates or changes, guess what does change? You, right? Your experience of God's love, your perception of God's love, your connection to God's love, your participation in God's love does change and fluctuate all the time and it's mostly based on your, the degree of effort that you put in to stay close to him. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Just like, for those of you who are married, just like your union with your spouse does not legally change day by day. Oh, you know it's true. Your experience of that union changes day by day, doesn't it? <laughs> and it changes to a great degree based on what? Your own participation in cultivating Communion, right? Communion is different than the union. The union is a legal fact. You are loved. The communion, your participation in the experience of that union, well, that requires a whole lot of intentionality, doesn't it? And so what Jesus is saying here, there's a tension here. He's saying, here's the indicative. You are loved. That's the truest thing about you. Don't ever forget this. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. You are not what others think of you. What's most true about you is what Jesus says of you. And what does Jesus say of you? You are loved. It's the deepest truth, the core of your identity. Never forget that, friends. And yet, here's the imperative. Remain in my love. Stay in it. Make your home in it. Like a, you have a wandering heart, like a dog wandering from its master. You're always wandering away. So keep on coming back to the source. Keep sending your roots deep to where your life is found, where the source of your power is found, the depth of the love of God for you. Find your home in my love. How do we do that? Well, um, notice Jesus mentions friendship with him. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is inviting us into a dynamic friendship with him. And this, again, is one of the most amazing things about Christianity that makes it distinct from all the religions of the world, that all the great founders of the religions of the world, what do they leave behind? They leave behind their thoughts. They leave behind their brilliant ideas, often in the form of a holy book, whether it's the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita. But Jesus, what does he leave behind? He leaves behind himself. <laughs> he says, I'm going away, but I will come to you in the person of the Spirit. And so he's inviting us to an ongoing, dynamic, participatory relationship with him. And just like any relationship, to be good, you've got to invest time and choose to do certain things to help that relationship grow. You need habits 
and intentional practices to foster the friendship that Jesus is inviting you into. In the Christian tradition, um, we often call those practices spiritual disciplines, but that sounds kind of heavy, right? Like spiritual disciplines. You know, that doesn't sound very invitational. So let's call these things instead habits of friendship with Jesus. What are some of these habits of friendship with Jesus? Well, there are things like prayer, learning how to live in a constant conversation and communion with the God who loves you. Um, things like scripture meditation, or actually we're, we're big fans here of a, of a um, spiritual practice called Lexio Divina, which is a way to con- contemplate and prayerfully meditate on the scriptures, where you begin to hear the personal voice of God of love to you. Um, things like Sabbath and silence and solitude, when you take time to wait to be with God and to remember that you are not what you do, but you are yourself with God. That's the truest thing about you. Um, we actually have a whole uh, page on our website. If you go to thirdrva.org forward slash spiritual dash practices, there's a whole list there of descriptions and explanations about how to practice this, right? But it's not just habits individually. We also need collective communal habits. Um, remember that Jesus is not just talking to an individual. He's talking to a community of people. And in fact, if you look at it carefully, when he says remain in my love, that's a second person plural conjunction, um, uh, conjugation, sorry. Make yourselves at home in my love. Every time it says you in this section, Jesus is talking Southern. He's saying y'all, you know, you're the, I'm the vine, y'all are the branches, Jesus says, right? And so um, we do this together. One of the ways that we remain in Jesus's love is by remaining with each other. Isn't that beautiful? Um, one of my favorite books is called The Hidden Life of Trees. Any of you guys ever read it by German forester um, Peter Wolhaben? He, it's just an amazing book, and he basically narrates the way that forests are actually deeply interconnected um, um, in, uh, ecosystems in which trees share a hidden life with each other under the forest floor. And so in the same way, together, we draw from our hidden source of life in God's love for us, and we can help pulse that love into each other. So when we come together in, in, on Sundays, this is, a, this is a habit of spiritual friendship with Jesus, what we're doing right now. You have had a straying heart this week, and we are coming back, and you have already heard the great truth about you, that you are God's beloved in Christ. You, we, we sung about it. You heard it in the call to worship. You saw it in baptism. Um, you're hearing me tell, tell you about it right now. Um, we confessed the fact that we wander from God, and God brought us back to him. Right? We, right now, we are practicing a habit of friendship with Jesus, and we are doing it collectively. When you meet in your parish groups or your small groups, or you meet one-on-one with a Christian friend over a cup of coffee, and you dare to be vulnerable, you dare to be known, you dare to share the places of your wandering heart, and you are called back by a brother or sister to the truth of your identity as God's beloved in Christ again. This is a habit of friendship with Jesus. And so we need each other to stay at home in the Father's love. So here's my question for you, this first point, okay? Take notes. You can write this down. What are you doing to remain in Jesus' love for you? What's your plan? What's your strategy? Do you have one to stay rooted, reminded, aware, connected to God's love for you in Christ? Um, Blaise Pascal, any of y'all know that guy? 17th century mathematician and scientist. Apparently, like, he discovered all of Euclid's mathematical theories before he knew they existed. It's kind of amazing. Anyway, um, he, di- he died 
an untimely death at the age of 38. And when he died, they found, he was wearing a coat, and they found a piece of um, paper or sort of manuscript sewed into his jacket. And it was a description of a powerful experience that he had of the love of God eight years previously. And you go online and you Google, just Google um, Pascal's poem. It's so beautiful. And it says, this is just a small excerpt, God of Jesus Christ, joy, tears of joy, the foundation of living water, Jesus never, never let me be cut off from you. And he literally kept this, sewed into his coat for eight years, close to his heart, wherever he went. Pascal knew that while God would never forget him, he was prone to forget God. So he literally sewed a reminder of the love of God onto his very person. And so that's what I want to ask you. What habits are you sewing, S-E-W, sewing into your life, whether literally or metaphorically, to know and claim and remember the love of God? So that's the first thing. That's the roots, right? Receiving love. The second, though, is the fruit, extending love. Jesus says the great purpose of our staying rooted and connected to him is the fruit. He says in verse eight, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So his vision is, is that we're so rooted in love that this fruit is springing out of us as our branches are extended. And what is the fruit that Jesus most wants to see in us, his people? This is not a trick question class. What is the fruit that he wants to see? Love, very good. Isn't that interesting that of all the things that Jesus said that he wants exhibited in his community, of all the different marks that could set us apart, he, he could have said so many things. He could have said holiness. He could have said good moral character. He could have said doctrinal clarity. I mean, he could have said reform people would love that, right? But he said, he said, here's the one thing that I want to be coming forth out of my community that will set my community apart from everyone in the world, here it is, love. That's the fruit he wants to see. What does that mean? Does that mean Jesus wants us to be really nice and leave big tips at restaurants and let people merge in traffic? Maybe, I don't know, possibly. But um, he actually says what he means. He says um, this in verse 12. He says, um, can you bring up that, that verse? Um, I think I got it. He says, my command is this, love each other as what? I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I mean, they, they are just beginning to comprehend what Jesus is about to do for them. He has just gotten on the floor and washed their feet. And now they're about to go out into the garden, into the dark night, and Jesus is about to plunge himself into the most horrific suffering. He's about to embrace the most abandoned death. He's about to be swallowed up by the judgment of God for the sin of the world. He's about to die for them and rise for them. He is literally about to love them with the most impossible, beautiful, sacrificial, substitutionary love. He is about to lay down his life literally for them and for the life of the world. And Jesus says, that's the way I want you to love. Whoa, that's a long cry from letting somebody merge in traffic. Right? I mean, I... Let's just be honest. This is not the way that we naturally love. Uh, I mean, just speaking personally, most of our love, our love for each other is often selfish, egocentric, driven by a need to satisfy our own desires. C.S. Lewis wrote that the desire we often call love on earth, the demons recognize in hell as hunger. (laughs) 
Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we often call this feeling that we have love, but what actually often it is, is a, it's a hunger for acceptance, a hunger for approval, a hunger for praise, a hunger for happiness. And we, and, and, and we often, what we define love is often may just be using another person to satisfy these cravings and hungers of my inner emptiness to give me this attention and affection and praise and gratification that my ego hungers for. This vision of love could be summed up by the, the simple phrase, um, your life for mine. Your life for mine, right? This person exists to satisfy my hungers. And in this version of love, when the relationship gets difficult or the person becomes challenging or annoying, as they always do, and your happiness begins to diminish, then you will naturally put in less effort or maybe even pull out of the relationship altogether. That's your life for mine, love. That's most of human love. In contrast to that, Jesus says, I'm calling you to a greater order of love, a love that is like my love. And how is Jesus' love? Jesus so binds our hearts, his heart to ours. He so connects his welfare to our welfare. He so deeply commits to us, even if it means going to the depths of hell to make us whole, his version of love is not your life for mine, but my life for yours. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life. That's the kind of love, that's the fruit, Jesus says, that I wanna see flowing out of you, my people. You know, that, this kind of love is not foreign to us. Um, today is Mother's Day. Let's, let's give a hand of gratitude for all of the mothers in the house. We are um, deeply grateful for you mothers. And, you know, motherly love, and maybe we can broaden it to parental love, is perhaps the human love that most resembles the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Because, right, what's the goal of parenting? <laughs> the goal of parenting is to take this very dependent small human and to help them to become an independent human who is a, you know, participating contributor to the world, right? That's you could say very broadly, that's the goal of parenting. But here's the irony. The irony is, is that for you to help this dependent creature become independent, you essentially have to, if you're a good parent, completely sacrifice your independence for like 20 years, right? I mean, you, you, you have to, I mean, it's crazy this stuff you have to do, right? You have to wake up in the middle of the night and you have to wipe feces on your, their, your hands and you have to, you know, read to them and help them do their homework and you have to, to spend and spend and spend so much time and so much money and so much emotional energy, right? And you're doing, you basically have to give up what you, do, what you like and want to do in order to be completely available to them. In other words, you have to give up your life to give them theirs. Some parents don't do it. They refuse, you know, to sort of sacrifice their own freedom and independence. They're not willing to fully make the sacrifice. And guess what? They ruin their kids. Because to really love your kids, you have to die. You have to make a sacrifice. It's either them or you, right? And so you suffer for a while the death of your own independence in order to set this child free. And Jesus says, that's my life for yours. This is the kind of love I'm calling you to, a deeply committed, cross-shaped, death-driven love, my life for yours. So I want you to think about the people in your life right now your spouse, your partner, your kids, your family, your friends, your colleagues. In fact, think about someone right now that is challenging in your life. What would it mean for you to love them in this way? Inevitably, it means that you will take some really deep hits. 
in order for you to love like this, especially someone who has wounds or hurts or problems or sin or struggles, guess what? That's all of us. It means that you need to be willing to receive a degree, sometimes a big chunk of the other person's pain. For them to be more full, you need to become more empty. For them to experience greater wholeness, you have to experience greater diminishment. For them to be given more life, you have to give more of your life away. To love another person involves death. My life for yours. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about. So here's the secret, friends. This is impossible. You can't do it. This kind of love is literally supernatural. It is beyond our nature to love this way. So what do you need to do? Go back to the roots. Go back to receiving, returning to the deep well of love that Jesus invites us every day. Just like children can only learn to love by being loved, we cannot give what we don't have. We can't love when we don't have love ourselves. So Jesus says all that inner emptiness and hunger and restlessness that you have inside, come and be satisfied in me. Come and return to me. Return to the source of love. Find your heart's home in my love. I want you to imagine a vast well, and it's full of water that is so deep and so clear and so delicious and so beautiful. That is the love of God. And Jesus says, remain there. And when you come, take your little cracked bucket that's so cracked, barely, barely can hold stuff, and stay it and then fill up that bucket and then go to love the people that I've given you. And guess what? It's gonna, it's gonna get emptied real quick. And what do you do when it's empty? You run around trying to find someone to fill it? No, you return to the source of love. You return to the well. And so it becomes this beautiful dynamic of receiving love and extending love. It's like breathing, inhaling, exhaling, receiving love, extending love, drawing love up through the roots, extending love out in the fruits. This is the beautiful dynamic of the Christian community that Jesus wants to see in the world. So the people come and look at us and they say, see how much life is happening here. Let me close like this. It's often, I don't often be so bold as to say something like this. But friends, this is the meaning of life. This is the meaning of life. Jesus says, I've told you this so that your joy may be complete. What that means is so that you can be as full and beautiful and whole of a human that I've ever made you to be. This is the meaning of life. If God the Trinity is at the center of all reality, that means that the giving and receiving of love is at the heart of the universe. For all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit have received and given love to one another. And then that God extends his love to creation and invites us into it. Giving and receiving love is the meaning of existence, is the purpose of the universe, and you can fulfill the meaning of life no matter how hard your circumstances are, no matter how limited your life is, no matter what suffering you're bearing, you can actually fulfill the meaning of life. Two years ago, I did the funeral for one of our covenant partners named Ann Bonsack. Any of y'all know Ann? Ann died at age 100. And I saw her a few weeks before she died and she was in a, a nursing home room. Um, she could barely move. Her existence was circumscribed to a tiny room. Um, a cynic would say, this woman has lost her purpose of existence. She can no longer meaningfully contribute to society. And actually, this case is being made for euthanasia in many societies today. But Anne, um, she continued to show kindness to nurses and aides. They all showed up for her funeral. She showed warmth to everyone, and she deeply knew and drew on the experience of the love of God. Her last words were, come, Lord Jesus. She received love, 
She extended love. She was fulfilling the meaning of life even in the most limited of circumstances. In that little hospital, in that nursing home, in her little bed, she was a mighty tree. Deep roots. Spreading fruit. Receiving love, giving love. She was fulfilling the meaning of life in a nursing home. Pretty sure you can too. Your joy can be complete. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you so much that Jesus said this and that he opened the door to the secret of the universe to us. Scriptures say God is love. And the only way that could be true is if the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were giving and receiving love for all eternity and that you invite us into that same deep experience. We pray that our church would be one that gives and receives love and that we would be a community that people look at us and say, how much life is happening? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.